Hello. Hello, I'm Georgia. And I'm John. And today we're going to talk about the mac and cheese and movies. Mmm. Comfort Films Podcast. Season 2. Hello everyone and welcome to Comfort Films Podcast. This is the final week of our martial arts month. And this week we're going to be talking about 2011's The Raid Redemption. Now this is one wild movie. If you've never seen it, it's got the vibe of a video game. Some cops fight through a building, floor by floor, to get to the big bad guy. Absolutely incredible. It's a really, just, it's unique, I would say. And this film, this pick, was brought to us by our very special guest. Uh, This is a man that I know from Los Angeles. Really great guy, has held many different jobs. And he is the founder of Brush and Blade Artistic Solutions. Do you have anything that you need with art? Frank Bonanno is your man. So without further ado, let us present our guest, Frank Bonanno. Hello, Frank. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. That was a terrific intro. Just top tier. (laughs) Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Sean's pro skills at work. Oh, man. Magnificent. Magnificent. If you heard the other ones I tried, I, I really, sometimes I can ramble in the intro, you know? <laughs> no, just, that was it. That was concise. It was powerful. It moved me. This, These are the notes that I needed. This is like, you, you were a teacher. Are, yeah, are you still I teaching? Was. No. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Those are great notes. Thank you. That's, that's the note you want to see on the paper. It's right. like concise, clear. You know, informative. Makes you feel good about yourself. It does. It makes me feel like I can edit. Although, I'll tell you what, uh, you also turned my brain into feces when you reminded me that this movie came out in 2011. Mm. (laughs) I was like, that happens to us on the reg. Man, has it been that long already? It has. Yeah. Yeah. We do that like literally every time we release an episode. We're like, wait. This movie came out when? How old are we? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah we, we're constantly like, reminding oh ourselves that. Old. <laughs> <laughs> we were the cool kids. Now we're, we're the old we're people. Old. No, yes. man. I say old stuff. No, I'm no, like, no, what no. am I doing? Look at me. Look at me. We are still the yeah. cool kids. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen the kids, and there's like a handful of exceptions. They're not cool. <laughs> Sorry to our Gen Z listeners. You yeah, know, no. there's, um. there's, you know, I had like, I would say a strong dozen kids that were awesome out of 400. Wow. <laughs> That's hard. Wow. Yeah, I think the coolest interaction I've seen with younger people is I saw, you know, this one guy go into a group of dudes and like, hey, man, how you been? And he's like, I've been taking care of business. <laughs> I was like, all right. That's so, all right. That's this kid's really solid. Good. Yeah. The, I like the ones that. who get it, the ones who get it, get it. Um, but they get it and they're cool because they're like little mini adults already. But the ones that are like in the mindset of the time, I just, I, as your attorney, I don't advise it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's start off with, with one of our, our big questions here. So Frank, we have got the raid redemption. And you have this as your top comfort film. Tell us about that. Oh, my God. I love this movie. It's just bananas. Um, I had absolutely no idea what I was walking into. I was just like, all right, martial arts movie. I like martial arts movies. Let's go. And I saw it in the theaters. And I remember just like at a certain point, like I was like 
gripped into the handles on the side of the seats. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, this is, and like, it's one of those movies we're watching in the theater. I'm just like, yeah. And like, <laughs> hands up and cheering and yelling and like, visceral. And it's just so over the top crazy that, I mean, I love that shit. And I leave it for like periods of time because I don't want to get burnt out on it. You know, I was yeah. like back in the day, I watched movies over and over and over again. And so now they're like, I cannot watch Big Lebowski anymore. I cannot watch Boondock Saints <gasps> anymore because I've watched them a thousand and seventeen times. I could put a robe on and act out the Big Lebowski for you <laughs> um, and not get anything wrong. But like, I can't. I can't, you know. So now I get a movie that I love, like The Raid, and I'll like once a year watch it. And uh, this all came about because I was having that moment, and I was watching this movie, and I was like, "Yo, I love this movie a fucking lot." Uh, I wonder if I could. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I could like get it because we were already gonna do Ford versus Ferrari, um, and like I was like. No, I'd rather I'd rather go on about this one than that one. Let me see if I can pull the switch. And like so while it was like happening in front of me, I was like, yo, dude, can we can we switch it up? And you were like, Yes, we're doing a martial arts month. And I was like, perfect. Yes, that was very good synergy because we've already been planning to do a martial arts month and we keep kind of pushing it off, but I really wanted to do it. And when you suggested this, we were just like, All right, we have a guest who wants to do one, we can definitely do one. Because martial arts isn't your traditional kind of comfort films for most people, I would say. Just me and the Wu-Tang Clan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we did a a month on Westerns a a few months back, and we were talking a lot with our guests or with John about how, like, he kind of grew up watching these and his family liked them and things like that. But my family didn't really watch Westerns that much. But what we did do was watch martial arts movies. My dad loved martial arts movies. He was all about, like, the old school ones, and, like, Chuck Norris was, like, his guy and stuff like this. So I grew up watching those and just really enjoying them. My dad was into Taekwondo and did it himself. And, you know, I just, it's something that really is in my heart, even though, you know, you're watching guys beat the piss out of each other. I just it's comforting to me, like inexplicably comforting because it's just something that's familiar and it just feels good to watch it. It's great stunt work, great stories. I love it. I feel like watching martial arts movies is kind of like watching pro wrestling. Like it's all fake. And by fake, I mean, predetermined. Like we know that like, he's not really gonna do that thing because but like at the same time when you watch it it's just like regardless of whether or not Hulk Hogan really hates Mitt Rock like they're still doing that stuff like physically it is still happening there's still a guy jumping off the you know and like flipping the other guy through a tape like it's all still happening and to me that's just like this whole other level of like yes excellent yeah because you know? it is an art. I mean, martial arts is called martial arts for a reason. Like, could not agree. It with is an you art more, you know. And <laughs> yeah. and I think that that's a big tie-in too. My father, martial artist. I am a martial artist my whole life, and you know, it's just like it's kind of like 
watching hockey movies if you're a hockey player like you're like yeah i'm like even more connected to this even though I, like it's awesome at face value when like you kind of like i watch those movies and i kind of pick them apart and i'm like i want to do that how does that work okay the foot goes there and the hand okay i'm gonna try that like it's just it's like a little extra layer of sauce i guess yeah well and it's cool because i think with the raid like you're bringing together a lot of different styles because i i wasn't familiar with pen shocks a lot before this um and just the things that these the things that these guys are doing is like amazing like they're so fast and the movement is so just quick and um like Yayan Rohyan, I think is his name, the guy that plays Mad Dog. Mm-hmm. He's like this tiny little dude, but the speed that he has can just kick the shit out of yeah. like much bigger people. What I love is that all of those guys infiltrated into mainstream stuff. Like that guy, I don't even bother with their names. I couldn't possibly. <laughs> but that guy, all of a sudden, he's in John Wick 3. And you see that he's like three foot eleven in Keanu. You know, <laughs> Joe Toslim is uh you know, he popped up in Fast and Furious movie and beat the crap out of Tyrese and Han, and then he he's sub zero now. And the the Uwo, the lead guy, like he's been in stuff, he's gonna be in the new Expendables movie. So like they dropped that bomb and then they all exploded, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, I mean their abilities are just really unbelievable. And having them all in one movie together, just killing it, is a huge treat to go back and watch. Yeah, and they're so skilled, and they're so unbelievable. It's crazy. Well, and a lot of them have experience, because they talked about the audition process, and they were auditioning fighters and stuntmen, and they just kept culling the herd to get the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And with Joe Taslim, like, what happened there is he actually contacted gareth evans on facebook and was like hey you know i'm like a judo champion i'm really interested in what you're doing do you have anything you know that i can do so gareth evans goes looks on his facebook page and he goes and he finds a picture of him in a swat suit and he's like that's it that's my guy and so they got him and they incorporated all of these judo elements into this big fight because that fight that we have you know with Mad Dog and Jaka is like, oh my God. I mean, we're coming on the heels of an incredible, incredible like dialogue scene, you know, where yeah. we've just like really seen what Jaka is all about. You know, I, I mean, you are not really prepared for this guy to be any more awesome after the acting that he's just delivered by uncovering that the boss is a crook that he's yeah. in league with these guys. And like, we're you not know? leaving until we get every one of my men out of here. You piece of shit. And they, yes. what I love is when movies do something like that, they endear you to a person just to take them away. Like mm-hmm. we can't take this guy away yet because it doesn't hurt yet because you don't care about him yet. So here we're going to give him this speech. That's going to make him the fucking man in your eyes. And then in the next scene, we're also going to have him kick ass for the entire first half of that fight. And then he's just going to get destroyed. Yeah. And and it's gut punch you. It It hurts. It It does. Cause you just, he's like your hero at that point. And then he just, 
goes down fight, by the by this awful guy who's like the one of the worst guys in the movie. And that fight is one of my favorite fights in that whole movie. It's so cool. And his judo, I'm a judoka. I, that's what I grew up doing when I started when I was six. So whenever I see it, and it's like, it doesn't get the love because it's not as flashy. And that movie started putting it back in movies. I was like, yeah, like they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well judo is like really powerful and then you have so you have this really good judo guy fighting you know this little tiny wiry like penchock salat guy mm-hmm. and it's so cool to see those styles kind of collide in these two people and it's i funny. think that actually may be my favorite fight there's so many good ones oh it's hard like I, the oh, eco wise fight the Rama fight in the hallway. Yes. With like the yes. four machete type dudes. Yeah. Oh, that's, the machete that's gang. Big for me. The machete yeah. gang is a dope fight. That's crazy. That mo- yeah. yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> like yeah. Well, and that's it. The it's way so that they fast. manufacture all that tension. Like, you can't just do that. You know, like, how, you can watch a, a fight scene, and especially that, that hallway fight goes on for a minute. You know, yeah. and like, it's easy to at some point be in the middle of a long action sequence and feel it and be like, okay, like do the thing, you know? But with, with that one, I'm like watching it and just like <laughs> gripped and like, oh man. Oh, like, and it took a cup, you know, I've seen it enough times now that it's kind of just got a different flavor, but like it took a while for me to be immune to the, the intensity of these fight scenes. Yeah, the tension is huge. Like, we hadn't actually seen this for a while. No. Um, We watched it, like, a bunch right at first, but I think it's the same thing that you were talking about with burning out. Like, I just was like, I don't want to keep watching it so frequently because I might get to the point where I'm tired of it. But having had a break and going back into it, I just feel again what I felt the first time we watched it. Like, the athleticism in this is crazy. The fight choreography is, like a complicated dance, you know, that they just keep doing over and over. And it was all planned out like beforehand. So planned out. You know, we watched a couple of like behind the scenes things with Gareth Evans and some of the fight choreographers just to see how they did it. And it's really interesting, like their process. Yeah, because it's like we have two of the major players in this. We have Rama and we have Mad Dog. These are actually two of our fight choreographers, you know, two of the three. Oh, and perfect. Yeah, right? It's right there. So you have Gareth Evans, who actually, you know, will say to them, okay, here's the situation. You're in this room. It's this big. Here's what's around you. What can you guys show me? So it's like an improv game almost, but with a fight. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll you know, film it, they'll work on it, and they'll tweak it. So these fights, by the time we see them on the screen, have already been done, you know, because it's like they'll take these these rough fights that they've worked on, they've rehearsed, and Gareth will see if he can edit it because he's the editor, too. Mm. And then he's like, oh, maybe I'll move this here. I'll move this here. When they're on set, he would actually have that footage with him. So as soon as they got the footage, they would look at it against the actual fights that they had, you know, like in somebody's office. Right. So that they made sure that they had all of those beats. Yeah. The level of preparation is just something that I was blown away by because I understand you have to rehearse a lot 
because this is this dangerous stuff. Yeah. And I mean, even with all the stuff that they did, folks got hurt, you know, in, in some of the scenes. It's inevitable, yeah. you know. You're moving that fast and you're doing that much stuff and there's that many moving parts, you know, but they're stuntmen. So it's kind of like uh, par for the course, I guess. You know, oh, they're I, tough. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 tough as like, and I kind of love that this started this like trend that we have now, where like a lot of these movies just really showcase stuntmen. You know, like and yes, put them out and have made stuntmen into stars instead of it being cut stunt guy. It's like you know, no, no, no. no. Like we're just gonna, and why why wouldn't we? We're just gonna put them out front, and like some of them are gonna blow up, and a bunch of them did. And, you know, you yeah. talk about the level of preparation. I feel like this movie also, certainly for me and my standards, but I think for Hollywood as a whole, I think it raised the bar. You know, it's like, this is what's possible. So now, ever since that movie, if I walk into anything and it's got action and it's got, and it's not like close, they didn't try, like, I all of a sudden, like, it falls down a lot in my eyes, you know, and I can't now not count the cuts in yeah. an action sequence yes like, yeah it's not a thing i used to think about or care about at all but now that we have so much long take action i can't unsee it every time that they just jump and jump and jump and jump and jump and like pulls me right you out you can't even tell where people are i mean and that's that's where the problem comes in you don't even know where people are coming from in the fights and like you know, you'll have a movie where it's like, oh, okay, I'm invested. And we get to this fight, which is like, you know, this is the the blow up point. This is, you know, the big show. And they have so many cuts and sped up things and changed angles and lens flares that shaky cam. you don't know. Oh, God, shaky cam makes yeah. you sick. And it's just trying to cover. Yeah. And it's just trying to cover the fact that, that the actors can't do it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, well, this or... guy, what I loved about Gareth Evans is his influences were the older action films. You know, he was like, I love Bruce Lee. Yes, I Jackie love Jet Chan. Lee. I love Jackie Chan. And I mean, we talked about Bruce Lee earlier this month and Enter the Dragon. Then we talked about Mr. Nice Guy, you know, Jackie Chan with, with our guest Christopher Witte. And it was just like a really amazing, you know, exploration in these films because it's like what, what these guys did these i'd say martial artists pioneers if you will i mean they really went back to like silent films because they act with their entire bodies they're they're physical performers now that's not to say they can't deliver dialogue but they are they are everything they are like the epitome i think of what we want a performer to be they Absolutely. they could they could do anything it's like uh if you go all the way back to like the the 30s or whatever you got your fred astaire's they could sing they could act they could dance they could do all that it's like that just in a different if you swap out dancing for fighting but fight choreography yeah. and dancing are like you know just razors thin apart from each other so yeah well and it's funny because like i said i really was in a martial arts when i was younger and when i got older like around the time we moved to LA I started really getting into certain silent films especially like Buster Keaton who's kind of like the man one of the stunts. original like kick-ass stunt oh, yeah. guys and I didn't really put it together at the time like oh well obviously I like these because they're in the same wheelhouse but you don't really think about that on the surface but once you start exploring it those like old stunt films and that were silent 
are exactly the same thing as like martial art film because it's not about you know the lines and the talking unless it furthers kind of what's going on with the action kind of like the jocka scene Mm -hmm. the reason that we get that dialogue scene with him is to make us love him so that it feels much worse when we lose him Um, but it's more about like the action and the movement um, to tell the story everything is everything is necessary Uh, there's no fat on that movie at all you know if they're talking it all matters and as soon as they've they've said their piece it's done even like if you think about the scene where they're hiding in the wall oh yeah and you know that that one dude says a few things but that scene goes on for a long time. And every now and then he turns around and goes, I'll fucking cut you. But mostly it's just them doing action and then cutting inside that little thing where they're just panicked and freaked out. And he does the thing with the thing and the blade and he oh. catches the, you know, like no words. So there's a lot of this that is kind of silent film in nature. Sort of like the way uh, was that movie Drive? You ever seen the movie Drive? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, great. They, one. they, I saw some kind of behind the scenes thing with that where they were like, we went silent film as much as we could with this. Like that was our motivation. Like he doesn't say anything. There are those long drawn out scenes where it's just him doing something and there's just music, and it's like the fight movies, the martial art movies. It's it's kind of that way too. There's, there's just periods where there's no dialogue. You just hear ah, ah, and like, but otherwise, it's it. Well, you have like that guy with, with the really big eyes. Uh, his real name is Godfred. Yes, and he has the machete, the one that mm-hmm. stabs the leader the of the machete gang. Yes, he is actually an architect in real life, and he <laughs> scariest yeah, he architect I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> He's very nice man, from what we've heard, and uh, you know he comes in and he's terrifying. And the bits with him. Really, I, I feel like is when the film really starts to lean into like this horror or survival horror element mm-hmm. that we could see in a video game. When he's coming down the hall with a machete and tapping the wall, you know, and you hear that tapping and you're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this guy is going to do something very bad. And then you just have this shot with him. It, it's like it, it's lighting and it's just all these bodies around him. And he's just like walking through. It makes you feel that maybe you stepped over into a zombie genre at that mm, point. Yeah. You know, oh, because yeah. these guys are just unstoppable. Well, or slasher type thing. I mean, you know, because you, yeah, an unstoppable force with like a weapon. Oh, like Jason, yeah. machete. Yes. And okay. he was really one with that machete, too. Even when they're in the apartment, he's flinging the pictures off the walls with it instead of just using his hand. Like, such a smart choice and it's just like no 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 that thing is an extension of him look he doesn't even use his hands he's just using the machete to fling things around like just build his his mystique and his aura to the the end and meanwhile they used all that to also slow it down right because it's just like ah for a while so they're like okay guys catch your breath they brought in that nice little slow burn yeah, the pacing in this is amazing. Like, I think that's something that probably deserves a little discussion <laughs> on its own. Absolutely. Just because, like, they, Gareth Evans does a, an amazing job of balancing, like, this speed with these kind of slower tension scenes. 
And I think you have to have that because um, even even some of the fight scenes go on long enough that you almost start to get like, like, I need to take a breath here. <laughs> um, yeah. But but he's really good at building in those moments to kind of regroup you know, after the crazy fight. How about well, we want that information, too. We yeah. want to know what's going on, because and... it's like I that's the other thing I love the dialogue. We we, we don't get exposition for exposition's sake it feels like a real conversation that we would have like yeah you'll find out on the crooked cop but it's not just going to be a telegraph discussion you know it's like it happens like the scene with the brothers that scene holy shit holy shit that is like such good acting that i'm like wait what the fuck is this movie you know what i mean did we switch because Gareth Evans created, I feel like a roller coaster. Like, okay, like he ratchets up, like when you go up the hill, like click, 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 you get to the top, then he lets it rip. You know what I mean? We do the corkscrews, we go upside down, mm. then you come to some hard stop. You're like, whoa, okay, we're relaxing. Then click, 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 <laughs> click, click, we're going up the hill again. It's just brilliant, brilliant and, pacing. And every one of those uphill moments is either story or character. You know, when it slows down, like it gives you something like uh when the boss has the dudes laid out and he's just got them all on the knees on the plastic and he's going boom 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 and then he gets to the last guy and he runs out of bullets and he just puts the gun on his shoulder <laughs> hold this oh my for God. me i'll be right back and then no. says nothing walks over quietly opens the drawer there's bullets and a hammer and he looks and grabs the hammer and it's like, that told you everything you need to know about that guy. We don't need to hear another word. We don't need the two cops to be like, no, you don't understand. He's one of the most ruthless. Nope, done. Done. <laughs> Puts yeah, the gun on his shoulder and decides, no, nah, I'm going to beat him to death with a hammer. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah, yep. the guy that plays Tama is amazing. <laughs> Look, that is an extraordinary villain. He reminded me a lot of Raul Julia. Um, like, he just has, like, this this wonderful calmness to him that adds to his menace. He's wearing and flip flops the whole time. Yes. <laughs> and he's dressed like a slob. And it's just like shoes. He doesn't even put closed toes on when shit hits the fan. He's not like, Oh, let me go sneak her up real quick. Just flops the whole time. <laughs> oh my God. You know what Gareth Evans said is one of the, the influences on this. There were a bunch, but one that he mentioned was Die Hard. So it makes me think about John McClane actually oh, never having shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God yeah. that thank God that wasn't a thing that had to happen in every subsequent Die Hard movie. Imagine. <laughs> like Where it got weird shoes? enough. It got weird enough by four having to have them shove Yippie Kaye in somewhere. Like <laughs> he doesn't need to always say it, but if you no no no. Sixteen movies, he's barefoot in all of them. We don't care. <laughs> With like the A shirt that gets progressively just more dirtier and oh, dirtier. I think that <laughs> I think that with a vengeance was peak that that wife beater that was black by the end and colored oh, yeah. blood. I loved all that. I loved all the the games and that. I thought that was great with the riddles. That that was fun. It reminded me almost of a Batman movie. You know, it like was. It was kind of like what it was kind of like what Batman would be if it were real. Because in any kind of, even as gritty as they want to make those movies now, it's still not what's possible. 
But if you were to distill it down to what an actual, like, it's that. It's just a dude running around with some fucking lunatic being like, I left you another clue. Ha ha ha. And him being like, I have such a fucking <laughs> headache. Like, Can I just take a break? Yeah. Well and some other dude just being like, what is happening? Why are you so calm about this? I like that that's like the level of story required for that is like so much more than what the raid has. And it's like, that's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't really, you know, the only motivation we have for Tama being like a total evil person is like money. I mean, he's just running this place. Like he just is making drugs. Yeah. That's yeah. it. He just is. He's just one of those people yeah. that just is, you know? And, uh, that's it. He rose up. We don't even need to know the story. When, no, when I mean, Dread ripped yeah. this movie off, they did basically the same thing. They gave you just a tiny bit more backstory on Mama, but they really just showed her fucking being ruthless, and that was all we needed to see of her, too. Yeah. I didn't even make that connection. We were watching it. We were just like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like Dread. And I was like, holy yeah. shit, well, it is like Dread. It's Dread. The same Dread time. came out second. And yeah. I'm sure that they were probably being developed at the same time because that's the way that works. You know, your Dante's Peak uh, volcano, volcano scenario yes. where there's always like, that's weird. Why? You know, and I never would have pinned those two as being, oh, it's that thing that they do. But when I saw Dread, I was like, oh, it's that thing that they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Tom Hanks showed up with a band. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, like right, like right. he does. Like he's there with the band. Yeah. But I mean, the other influences in this that he cited, he's, he talked a lot about John Carpenter, which definitely I feel like we can see. Yeah. Because John Carpenter is the master of working with a small budget. And it goes back to, you know, a very early film, Assault on Precinct 13, mm -hmm. where, you know, we have these people trapped, you know, in this police station. And we have all these bad guys, all these gangs outside, and they're not able to get help. But the gangs are kind of faceless zombie types, too. And they pull away their guys. So, Just like, they're fallen. Henchmen. They hide. So nobody knows, you know, yeah. anything's happening. And we don't got to love what one's disposable henchmen. Yeah. Not but then we don't know what their it. intention is. Like, the intention in this is just get these cops out of here because we don't want our business interrupted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all. It's simple. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and, and they're just you there guys to are be here. killed. It's like, you guys are here, you really, really messed up by being here, and we just are going to make you not be here. It's crazy. Yeah. I it's love the simplicity. Simple. Yeah. I think that's what you have to love about this movie so much, is that we drive forward with this Mortal Kombat-like premise of we're going to fight our way up the mountain, we're going to take down each one to get to the top, mm. and where they really fill in... I would say creatively in a new way is with the camera work because they use this thing. I, I wasn't familiar with they, they called it like a fig rig. It basically looks like a, a steering wheel around the camera and it's just okay. a mount that they can hold. Now that they use this several times in the film, very interesting stuff. So when they first pull up to the building, okay, we're on a crane with the camera and what happens is the crane comes down the camera is hooked to the crane. DP unhooks the camera from the crane and then follows. Yes. 
Yeah, an unbelievable. I now, assume here's the that second. was just a sneaky cut. That's no, tight. there's no cut. That's Isn't it? Tight. That's that yeah, right? They, they did everything Woo. digital video because it was, you know, more mobile. The cameras are smaller. They can reshoot and reshoot and reshoot without burning a lot of cash on film. But it also, it kind of does like a Danny Boyle thing where like it just, the camera becomes so much more mobile because it is like smaller and digital and they're just using this big rig, which is like John said about like a big steering wheel um, that just slightly stabilizes so they can do handheld without it becoming like uh, motion sickness inducing. Mm. <laughs> but so still kinda, have like that immediate feeling of kinda the bridging, in the action. Kind of bridges the gap between steady cam and handheld. It's like yes. if there was a if there was a medium setting, that's yeah. the medium setting. Yeah, because they did not use steady cam at all in this. Um they really just mm. used like this big rig kind of stabilizing uh tool the whole time. And the coolest shot that we saw in the behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah was the drop through the ceiling kind of shot, which again was not a cut. It was a single shot mm. um, where one camera person kind of dropped through the hole. And then at the, at the bottom floor, the other camera guy grabbed the fig rig from him and continued shooting. Uh, we'll put a clip up of that. Absolutely. On, yeah. On I mean, I'm blank. Instagram. When does that happen? Cause I'm, I'm blanking on, on that at the moment. So it's the part where um, they, where I guess initially it's Rama who's trying to open a hole in that floor with the ax. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. When Bowo falls through and like gets shot and they pull him out. Right. Then they go through the hole. Oh, so they follow the guy that. through the hole. I do and there's no that. cut. There's no camera cut. It's just. They just. Dive I mean, I was kind of like blown away. That's some, it, that's yeah, some real gorilla it. stuff. Yes. No, it we're is, just going to dive through the hole. You're going to what? <laughs> and, and the guy that went through the hole, like they had to very specifically make sure the hole was the right size. The guy has to kind of be on his mark to fall through it. Otherwise, he's going to hit his head, his arms, whatever. No, it has to be fluid. So he just kind of drops through the hole with the upper half of his body and hands off the camera to the guy who's on the next floor. He should have his own line crazy. in the credits. Like, they should oh, yeah. list him. Guy who went through the hole with the camera. Hey. <laughs> like, because that's some camera shit. Camera hole guy. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Well, we when we saw it, we were just like what yeah <laughs> yeah i couldn't even process it. like i just can't wait to put it on instagram so everybody else can have their mind blown yeah, it, how cool yeah this it kills you and it's also i mean i'll take it even a step further which is insane so this is you know a mixture of like you know working in a studio and working at the location um but for purposes of this discussion i'll, I'll zone in on this they could not book a two-story studio at the time to film this scene where they go through the floor. So they actually got, I think like a badminton court. Okay. And they built it up and (laughs) this thing had a tin roof. Okay. It was hotter than hell. Huh? Oh yeah. It was terrible. And the guys are in the suits and like, they're just, they're losing their, yeah, you're losing your fucking mind. And it's just like, you know, you're banging through the floor. You're going through the hole. They have to keep doing it. And they actually changed into a night shoot. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, I, I think that maybe 14, maybe more. But yeah, they 
they worked all these shots to get it just right, you know, because they wanted it to have that that smoothness to it. But it adds so much to the film. I mean, they even have they, they can't have instruments set up because they're always moving around. So there's actually a guy. It looks like he has a boom pole with like an LED light on the end. He's mm. just like sticking it next to the camera. Yeah. So it's like you see the camera. You see the boom pole, and you see this—I don't know—boom pole with an LED on it. Well, for the yeah, for the big last fight, because there's like it's three sixty. They're like turning around the whole room. Like the You're talking about room. the yeah, fight with the have... brothers and the Mad Dog. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's you my can't other favorite have... fight. It's an amazing one. It's incredible. But you can't have lighting setups because you're just gonna turn the whole way around. Well, so in addition to the fight being choreographed, the lighting and DP were also choreographed because they had to like go around the room following. So it's almost like all of them are in like this dance because everybody had to get out of the way so that it wouldn't catch people or equipment in the shot. It's so funny, you know, I think it was literally yesterday, um, my new boss, I was kind of talking about how I used to work in movies, you know, and it, like, I don't like to just like flop that out, but if it comes up, I'll, you know, whatever. And, you know, at some point it was like, you know, I, I said the phrase, like, any movie you ever have seen is the result of nothing more than a miracle. Like every movie <laughs> that gets made is just a miracle. And to to hear stuff like that, that's that's the you know that is a miracle that they were able to do that at all let alone catch it on camera while they were doing it like the level of care and commitment that people put into these things man like because stuff like this exists i get mad at stuff that's like you guys didn't care at all Fuck you. I can understand that 100%. That's, Absolutely. You know, that's it's funny because that's one of the things that we end up saying a lot, repeating ourselves a lot on the show. It's because when we watch a movie, we love a movie enough to do a show about it. It's because, you know, it did capture lightning in a bottle or, you know, make a complete miracle in that way because there's so many people involved from beginning to end, you know, and getting a movie made. And when something really stunning happens and you get to watch a really great movie, it's the result of all those people's labor and cooperation and effort. And it's just something to marvel at and appreciate. Mm -hmm. And John and I have been on set for 18 hours together. (laughs) (laughs) So it just doesn't, you know, like, and you think about that and just like, day after day after day of that those those action choreography days they were not short days there's no way that there was a 12 and out oh we're taillights and 12 got no 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 chance no way it's just like oh yeah actually gareth evans talked about that he said that there were days when they actually worked 26 hours straight um so it was like one full day and then just a really short day two hours (laughs) Well, they had like an idea that I thought was interesting. So with the fight scenes, this is how they approached it. Day one, they would work on getting the first part of the fight. And then day two, they would work on getting the last part of the fight. Days three and four, they would use for the middle of the fight in pickups. Mm. So they were like, even if everything went to hell, we have a beginning of the fight and an end of the fight. Yeah. 
it's almost like it doesn't matter how much of the rest is usable. Like maybe it's a lot, maybe it's all of it, maybe it's this much, but we got the things we needed. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. That's smart, strategic. It was so smart with what they did in this. And it was just like the, the whole thing was Gareth Evans was working on a documentary, you know, on um, Penchoxalot. Yeah, he's working on a documentary on Penchoxalot and he actually goes and he runs into Iko Uweis, who is our lead, who's Rama. And he was actually like a delivery guy for the telephone company. <laughs> and he was just like, hey. You know, and he saw this guy, you know, do some moves. He's like, this guy is a star. We're going to make this guy our star. So they went and they went forward with that. And, and that then, was with Marintel, yeah. which was the first kind of movie that Gareth Evans did. It was, well, he did this thing, footsteps. I'm confused because like well, footsteps with, and then. With Eco Weiss. Yes, yeah. yes. First one with him. And then he had Yayan in that as a fight choreographer. And they were trying to cast this role in Marintal, and they couldn't find anybody. And eventually they were like, you know, let's give Yayan a chance. And they found out not only could he fight, but he could act. So, boom, he was in too. And then he's Mad Dog in this, who is a huge character and extremely important. And he was I great love in that, that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I love the scene, again, back to that Jocko and Mad Dog fight. I love that Jocka thinks he's going to get shot, you know, at the beginning of that fight. And then Mad Dog is like, no, no, that's not how I roll. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, He's like, no, it's hand to hand. And then they just go to this kick-ass fight. It's really awesome. That's such a... That's such a flex. (laughs) And I can imagine that... And Jocka's clearly no one to be trifled with, but even him, something melted inside him. The second he was like, no, I'm actually going to beat you to death. Oof. Maybe yeah, you're going to win this. Maybe you're going to get the better of me. That's the part that I find exciting. But you're not. So, you know. And then that scene when he's got him be- defeated before he kills him, where he just like goes into a, like a catatonic state for a second, and you're like, oh, he's an actual psycho. Like there's something extra here he's not just like because they kept calling him a mad dog and whatever but it sounds like a euphemism like oh he's just a crazy like oh no he's actually getting some kind of like extra pleasure from what's about to got it (laughs) yeah yeah like oh okay wait yeah we get it now well and he shows like a thing like a dog this is something i thought about this movie i i don't really laugh in it i mean the the one part that makes me laugh is when we have Andy and we have Mad Dog standing at the elevator waiting to go up to to Tama. Okay. And Mad Dog is actually holding He's Jocka's dragging body. a body. Yes. And he's just like, you know, and Andy's like, no, that that's not the guy. And he's like, well, you know, it, it could be. I'm, I'm going to bring it up. And he's like, no, that's not it. And he's like, well, I'm going to bring him up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, just like, he, he's like, well, at least I got something, man. The fuck, you got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's so funny. It's just like, yeah, it is like, you know, two kids fighting with each other about something. Just the stupidest stuff. I mean, that that's the part that gets me. Like the beginning where, where you talked about with Tama and putting the gun on the guy's shoulder. It, it is funny, but it doesn't make me laugh. I'm terrified. It puts me in like Reservoir Dogs mode. 
Right. You know, I'm like, okay, this, this is Michael Madsen. I'm like, he's going to do something extremely fucked up here. Like I can feel it in my bones. I'm like, Oh Jesus, Mm. do I want to see this? Do I want to shut my eyes? Do I kind of half shut my eyes and leave them open? I don't know. It's yeah. They have like a, a lot of those moments, but they kept talking about it when they talked about the film they said that they don't refer to it as a martial arts film first and foremost, because they also see it as survival horror. Okay. And then they also have the, the crime drama element. And what they said is for about the first 30 minutes of the film, you know, these guys still have guns and they use the guns until the bullets are gone. You know, with the exception, of course, with the Thomas scene we just talked about. Right. So it's like it comes that that we go to hand to hand combat out of practicality. It's not like, okay, this is a martial arts film. You know, I have this bazooka, but I'm just going to lay it down. Right. Except for Mad Dog, who's like, yeah, and Tama. You mentioned it video game style. It kind of works that way, too. They run out of bullets, and then they go to their secondary and, you know, their other weapons. He's got the stick. He's got the knife. But, like, in a video game, you get so many stabs. You get so many whacks, and then that thing is gone, too. And so it's like there's step-by-step de-escalating. And as it goes from thing to thing to thing, the desperation is rising. And it creates this nice, like, give and take thing where it's like, okay, they're, they all got machine guns in the beginning and then they get lit up and now they're out of bullets and they're fighting with whatever's around and now they're out of that. And now it's just like whatever to the point where they jam that, that, uh, the fluorescent light, they kill them with that fluorescent light bulb. Like, okay, we destroyed a piece of our environment and now this is all I got. Like, yeah, and that is so brutal when they're like dragging that through his throat. Oh, he keeps, they said they had a close up. He keeps kicking his ass. He keeps kicking their ass with the bolt <laughs> thing in his neck. It's like, oh man, what's it gonna? And then you're like, what's it gonna take to kill this guy? Holy cow! He's yeah. such a gnarly villain. He does like I don't think it gets talked about enough, but he's he's the shark from Jaws, man. Like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'd like that. I think that the improvised weaponry thing does go back to that survival horror as well, because I'm I like playing video games like that. And there are times when you're like crafting weapons, you know, whatever you can find. And the great moment in this for me with that is when they pull that gas tank out from under the cabinet, throw it in the refrigerator and then use that to just like blast everybody away with a grenade. That's or, a cool scene. One of my favorite kills in the whole movie is when he grabs the guy and just jumps backward and pulls his face down through a shard of broken door. Like, that's a moment where when I was in the theater and he did that, I put my hands up and I yelled. Like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like so crazy because he didn't really know that was going to happen. I, I feel like that was one of these like super unplanned things. Cause this guy's just trying to not get killed, you know? And it was kind of <laughs> like, here we go. And, <laughs> <gasps> and he takes a second there. Like, Oh my God. Like I just killed this guy <laughs> by impaling him on a door. Then I was like, Oh, back to work. Yeah. yeah. They said yeah. that was kind of like an homage to Bruce Lee and enter the dragon when he kills O'Hara. And it's just like he just like destroys his rib cage. You know what I mean? It's just like this rage takes over. Right. And Bruce Lee just smokes him. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, 
My bad. I mean, <laughs> can't believe you did it. Yeah. yeah. What else were you going to do? And, you know, because he's the good guy, it makes sense for him to be the one guy that has that moment. And it's really one of the only moments because he's just in survival mode, but it does give you that one brief, like, oh, fuck. He, and it's like, oh, he is phased by this, you know, because Mad Dog's not phased by it. Tom is not phased by it. Even Andy. And the thing I think about often is that Andy fell the furthest. Because he obviously came from the same household where Jaka came from. Not Jaka, the other guy. Rama. 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 Like, they're brothers. So, obviously, there was a good family in place there somewhere that this dude just went so hard in the other direction that he can stand next to that mad dog dude and not even be the faintest bit intimidated by him. Like, that scene, he's like, what do you got? Like he's he's talking to him like that dude's not a maniac or like he's like well, fuck you that's not the guy he's like really but like not intimidated not acknowledging that there's like some kind of hierarchy where like he's beneath him speaking to him as if like fuck you what are you gonna do like from yeah, like they're my, my brother's a cop like that dude I want to know his story like because. How did he get there? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what's so wonderful about this, again, with the breadcrumbs that they leave in the story. When we have that scene with Andy and Rama, we want to know more. We want to go back. You would watch a whole movie on that. I'd love to. And it's I'd like, love to see a side quest movie where it's just the two of them. Like, oh, yeah. Bickering and, like, doing evil stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like... I, w- I want to know this too. Like Andy is the one character who kind of bridges the two worlds, and it does make you question: like, how did he do this? Like, how do yeah. you, how do you break bad that that hard? Because he rose. He was the number two guy, you know. Like, so he's got blood all over his hands. Like, absolutely. there's no way. Yeah, like that he, he, he did gone. like a an okay guy kind of thing there because he saved his own brother, but like. And even he was like, yo, this is who I am. Like, I'm really good at this. To say I'm really good at this and that's the thing. It's like, no, he's just ruthless. He's got bodies buried under his, like, you know, he's drenched in the blood of his enemies. There's there's yeah. no other way he could run with that crew. Yeah, no, he's cold. Like, there's something very cold in that person. Yeah. That he can do all those things. And that he and can okay also turn that. on his people at the drop of a hat and not think twice about that either. He's like, Oh, well I'm not going to kill my brother. I guess I got to kill you guys then. Like just done. That's a really good point. Yeah. That scene, they actually, that was Gareth Evans said that he wished that he cut it because he felt like that scene where Andy kills the two guys in the elevator is too much. I actually am on the other side of that. And because I think that scene is terrifying because with Andy, I don't know what's going on with him. Right. And him killing the two guys in the elevator, I'm like, okay, now what the fuck's happening? Like, I'm not sure. I don't trust anyone in this. Well, Because we don't have any him. information. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, because you really don't know what he's in, what side he's on. It's like, he's so, it's self-interest. Like, that's all he cares about is himself. So, you know, if the tide turned and it looked like Rama was really going down... I think he would like do his best, but he would just be like, well, sorry. Yeah. See, that's a, that's a good question because the end of the movie, 
we see that close up of Andy. Okay. It's like they walk in separate directions, very deliberate. And we see Andy and he has pride. He's proud that he's a gangster. He's mm -hmm. proud of the fact that he saved his brother. You know, you imagine there's always going to be like a sibling rivalry situation. Right. Definitely. There was one with these two guys. He was able to save his brother, get him back to his wife and kid. And then the other thing that I'm thinking about is now that my brother charge. killed. Yeah, he killed everybody. Yeah. So now I'm the boss. I'm the top guy. Have you yeah. seen the second one? We started to. I started and like, to as well. Because it, it picks exactly. up right after. It's like they, yes. they get him, they debrief him, and then they send him right back out. And he's just like, what? It was hard because I we wanted to go into and we went into it. But the problem was, it was just like, I didn't want to go too into it because then I'm like, no, we're talking about the yeah, first one Yeah, I don't want to mix it up. I just yeah. want to be able to just talk about the first one. But probably right after we get off of here, we're going to go finish. <laughs> we need to know what happened <laughs> here, man. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of a lot of influence, you know, that you continue to see. The, the one thing that, that I will say about the second one, then I'll, I'll jump out of it, is this. The very opening shot, the very opening scene is very reminiscent of Casino. That's Casino, friends. Mm -hmm. And that's a very similar story to like with Joe Pesci and his brother. And yeah, I'll leave mm -hmm. it at that. Well, I right. mean, I think Gareth Evans really just likes brothers movies. Like I saw like an article where he like listed his top five favorite movies and like Raging Bull was on there. So we know he likes Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, it's there. The influence is for sure there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be impossible just, not to. Oh, yeah. It's, you know I mean? If you like the gangster movies, if you like those, there are people that, that are like titans in the genre. Like, if you ignore those people's work, then it's like you're trying to make something shitty on purpose. <laughs> well put. <laughs> I want to make the worst movie I can. You don't so, understand. It's going to be no, completely no. different. I'm not interested in anything great that happened before me i don't have influences <laughs> i met people like that before you ever meet someone like that I'm trying to tell you that of they don't pay I attention did. to the world of art because they don't have influences they just make i'm like then how is it you're still so derivative <laughs> <laughs> yeah busted that's yeah. lame i mean yeah. like if you are alive in the world and, you know, you interact with any type of media in any way, you've been influenced. Yeah. To deny that is try to be pompous. Yeah. Well, we also yeah. have a huge departed influence in this, too, talking about Scorsese. Like, the, all the, the things the corrupt. Exactly. All that stuff is, it, it, it's just like, whoa, okay, we're in the building, you know? And I'm like, wait, I'm thinking about Martin Sheen. Oh, wait a minute. I got a corrupt cop. Pierre Gruno plays Wahyu, who is like the, the corrupt cop. The old now, guy? this character, yeah. yes, okay. he's fantastic because yeah. you know he's crooked. You know he's carrying something. And when he, like, cracks open that information, you know, that's when he really goes off the chain and starts kicking ass. Like, he gets this gun. He just, I mean, this is this is terrible. I don't know why. I think it's just because I was just like, Jesus, this is an escalation. Like, he's in the hallway, and he's got, like, you know, I think, like, a thirty eight snub nose. Yeah, and he's got that he little silver-plated guy. 
yes. He puts it like right up to the guy's head. And I'm like, what the fuck? Boom. I'm like, okay. Kicks open the door. He's kicking ass like a street brawler. They put him in this street brawler kind of thing because he has like a sports injury from when he was younger with his knee, he said. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny because Gareth Evans was like, yeah, you know, so he told me that. So we adjusted things to make it more of a brawling thing. And, uh, you know, the first thing he had to do was like slam some guy's head on the table. <laughs> the guy like actually kind of fucked up and used too much pressure and really slammed some poor bastard's him. head off the table. Oh, yeah. And it was like, oh, shit. Oops. <laughs> yeah. But it's I love what they did with him. It reminds me this is we're going way, way back here, guys. Reminds me of this old video game called Final Fight. There was this it was a fighting game kind of like Double Dragon. I know Final Fight. And there Fight. was this character. You remember this? Oh yeah, I remember Final Fight. I remember Hagar, the, yes. the mayor. Yes. Okay, that is what this guy reminds me of. It's that same kind of fighting, because it's like this guy that's got a you know, stature, he's got standing in the community, he's older, but he still kicks Mondo ass. Yeah. And he'll do whatever it takes. Like, he'll pick up a chair and smash it over. So, like, anything yeah, well, that's available in the environment, he's gonna beat the shit out of you with it. I like that the second the cat was out of the bag that he was dirty, he dropped all pretense of being a cop and just went hard dark. Like, because there were scenes yeah. where, like, the other police were still trying to act like police and, like, negotiate or I don't know what, but not use lethal force. And he's just like, nope, this guy's dead. Boom. Like, nope, we can't leave this guy alive either. Boom. And they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, what are you not doing? Like, what? what? You, you want to get out of here? Like, I want to get out of here. You understand? Yeah. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll, I'll take my chances in court. I, we need to get out of here first. Yeah. He's really just in saving his own ass mode. Yeah. Like the whole time. And, like, the one thing that I'm like, you guys, like, that any of them trusted that guy enough at any point that they got the, he got the drop on them is silly. That was the only yeah, thing he... that I was like, come on. Like, come on. Who? <laughs> like, I'd be like, your job is to watch him always. I'll watch it out for you. Just watch that guy. Yeah, he's not. He's, like, the sketchiest person. Like, the minute yeah. you see him, he's so you know, obviously he's sketchy. No it's like yeah. in, uh, it's like in, in was it Endgame where they're doing the time heist and then he, you know, Captain America, Iron Man and Ant-Man are here and like the, the task force comes in and Ant-Man goes, you guys didn't know that they were bad guys? They look like bad guys. <laughs> like, same thing with that guy. It's like, you guys didn't know he was sketchy? Everything about him is sketchy. You're police. You couldn't put that together? Well, they're rookies. Most of them are rookies, right? Yeah. So maybe they, but Me I mean, come the on. Like... beast. <laughs> Like, you don't have any intuition whatsoever that this guy could be off a bit. No? Okay. Great. He was acting so obvious. Like, they were fresh out of the academy. They should have just seen videos about this. He's acting oh, yeah. just like the guy in the fucking training video. <laughs> Watch him. <laughs> be safe. I, I, be, I also find really surprising the guy that's trying to get back to give his wife medicine. Uh, in this hotel yeah actually is a comedy guy really? and uh really? yes I, I found that to be very interesting information funny <laughs> that well you know what's what's weird is they were like well he did get a chance to stretch his comedy chops in that one scene and again it's like maybe it's just i, I, I think a it's a culture clash because yeah well i mean gareth evans also was saying that like the the indonesian audiences were laughing a lot at certain things like the and, stabbing through the wall thing the talk before that yeah 
Yeah, that he was said funny. That. Right, that's what I said. <laughs> Not to me. I was but... terrified. Man, I want to go hang out in Indonesia. <laughs> you yeah, guys are fucking they... crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting. Well, we have that, and we also have this is like a non-person thing, but I do want to mention it because it, it gave us a good laugh. So the riot van—they wanted to get a real riot van, but they couldn't. You know, it just—they they couldn't do it. And so they got a van and they dressed it up to be the riot van. Well, the riot van like really wasn't in that good of shape. And a lot of times they had to like push start the riot van. So like that scene where like, you know, the bad guys are like pushing, you know, the van like out of sight. That's the only thing I think about is I'm like, well, the fucking thing wouldn't start. So they're pushing it. (laughs) Whatever, man, you guys can just push it. You killed the guy with the keys. You don't know which one it is. Like, just just push the van out. It's fine. Just go. Well, what they did with like the set design and all the different things, because this is obviously a really low budget movie, but they did some things with CG that really worked. Like the actual building was not as tall as it appears. Right. It's I only really, a four story building. I really loved and, a lot of the sets, and I was like, you know, this this is what I what I'm into. So I'm like, oh man, you know, I, I, a game I always play is in any movie I watch is like, is this practical or is this location? Like, did someone build this? Is it a build set? Or is this a a location that they they just, like, outfitted? And with that, I was like, they built all of this. This is amazing. Like, the, those are, like, and, like, sometimes when you see a door slam, you can see the wall wiggle a little bit if you're looking for it. And I'm like, oh, the flats are shaking. Like, and then, then my next is like, well, how would I have done this? Okay. Uh, cool. Like, the paint, the thing, like... I'm like dissecting this and then like I have to bring back in because it's like oh in the middle and I'm like oh I'm missing it like and sometimes that happens I'll get caught dissecting the sets in the background and I'll actually miss what's going on and I'll have to like rewind or something (laughs) yeah they did they did build most all of it which I'm sure like as you say you notice immediately and most of that I think is because they kind of designed the fights before they put them into the spaces so they had to make these spaces that would match the fights that they had created. And well, something like so that, they... too. You want to have the ultimate freedom of being able to just pull the wall away and have your cameras here and have there be so much space for them to do everything. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I think, you know, they even have a way to explain if, you know, things look flimsy. Uh, oh, it's like a slum apartment, you know. It's a so shitty it's not apartment. Made well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, the wall just you know, shakes when you shut a door. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the stunt things that, that we heard about, I mean, the the one in particular that we saw, like, you know, in a couple different interviews is uh, there's a guy that gets thrown off the balcony and then he comes down and he slams a floor below and he snaps his back. That one, that is like the, the first escape, thing. The... Right. Like, on uh, this is time. before that. Oh, this is oh like... I, oh, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. This is before that. This is like one guy kind of gets thrown kind of over that middle kind of courtyard area, lands Inside on the, the next floor down. Inside yes, yeah. The building. Okay, yeah, yeah. that guy. And <laughs> I, oh, my God. That's <sighs> the first time in the movie where I just started yelling. Like, <laughs> I mean, there was some stuff that happened before that, but when that happened, I was just like, oh, because, like, it just seems, like, so real with, like, the foley and everything that they did there. But yeah, apparently that guy really did. Is that the guy that fell? Like yeah, that's yeah. So yeah. what the, they have him rigged up. Okay, did he so die they have him on wires? No. no, 
but check like this, it's going to blow your fucking mind what happens. So, almost. <laughs> yeah, like it's terrifying. So they, they it was supposed to be three separate shots, okay? And it was like you know one, you know, you see the guy fall, and then two, it's like you kind of see his ass hit the thing, and then you see like his legs. So it'd be like you know they you put it together, it, it all makes sense. Um, so what happens is they have the guy, you know, on this wire. These guys are holding them, and when they go to like have him go down they they kind of like pulled too hard and what happened is instead of him going down to the next level okay what happened is his head slammed into the wall on the other side (gasps) and then yes and then they kind of like just lost all control of the wire altogether And then they dropped it and the guy fell down about five meters onto concrete. Everyone thought the guy was deceased. It was, it was complete terror. And so, you know, they go down there and they said about 10 minutes later, (laughs) well, you'll love it. This is, this is true. This is like true rock and roll stuntman. So they go down there about, you know, 10 minutes later, he wakes up and he's like, all right, let's go again. <laughs> like, Which they didn't. No, they're like, please go to the hospital and get checked out. And then they're like, well, and then four days later, he came back and, you know, we did it again. I was going to say Gareth. four days later, he died. Oh, <laughs> no. this guy, this guy's a trooper. Gareth Evans was like, this is like the toughest person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And That's... they gave, um, they gave a lot of, they gave those people credits. The, in the in the credits as actors rather than what usually happens you know the stunt people are all kind of grouped under stunt it's performers just like a center margin the word stunts and then an underline yep. and then just bop 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 yeah yeah but in this gareth evans wanted to give them a real acting credit because they were actors you know they weren't just stunts it was like they really you know he was wanted his to give credit them guy who gets credit. bent in half <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but oh, it should be <laughs> man well i mean to survive that well and to speak to the other one yeah the outside shot that they that they show where they they slam down on that fire escape holy shit yeah that took like four days to shoot i think he said yeah i, I it, mean it was tough they they mm-hmm. had like so many they gave like so much information. I have to say that, you know, sometimes it's difficult to get information on a movie or the production. And this, there is like an embarrassment of riches. Like it's so incredible. I mean, all of it really was on the disc. I mean, oh, so it's, just blue, it's just like DVD, Blu-ray extras. Yep. Okay. Yeah. There's like a bunch of like video diary type, things like a video blog that are like nice. mi- little miniature documentaries they're about probably like i don't know six or seven maybe even more they were long you they know? were yeah. yeah and they gave so much info and it was like interviews with production and the actors and and even the music people as well because uh the first time we saw this i think we probably saw the american version which is the raid redemption with the score from uh, Mike Shinoda and Joe Trapanese. Yeah. And this time we actually watched the Indonesian score version. Um, so it is different, but it's, they're both good in their own way. Like it's super worth it to watch it both ways. Interesting. I'll have to buy it. I don't own it on Blu-ray. I need to. Oh yeah. It's worth it, it because you have all of it. You know, it, it's just like you can, 
you can really dig into it. And there's a commentary nice. from him too. But yeah, all kinds of interviews with everyone. So you're able to really dig in. Then we look online too. But yeah, when we when we talk about this stuff, we want to know because it's like this is really like fascinating to us. Yeah, like how did how did somebody achieve this? Like because this is a huge achievement. I mean, yeah. we yeah, all absolutely. agree on that. But with the music, yeah. So we have the two different versions. And the original version for the original Indonesian release, you know, the people that did it also did the uh, the, the the sound mix on the film as well. And so Gareth Evans worked with them, you know, like by their side. They went through everything beat by beat. And the people that worked on this were just incredible because we got to see some of the sounds that they created and how they did it. They showed wow. you like them and the going... scoring and like the the score guys like they were using guitars but they didn't want to use them like in a regular way so they were like scraping down the strings and like making these sounds that were you know they kind of put your teeth on edge but that's how you're supposed to feel anyway so it's right. like if you're already tense this just ratchets us up that more that much more that's so yeah, cool it was incredible well it's it's just like you're really seeing these people at work with it and it was, I don't know, I loved it. And, and personally, I, I kind of bonded with the original Indonesian score because, right. you know, they did the mix too. I feel like that that was the deal. But, you know, the American version, uh, what happened is they, they sold the film to Sony. And one of the things that Sony said is, you know, we're going to give it a different score. And so, you know, they, they were hooked up, you know, with Mike Shinoda and Joe Trapanese and, you know, it's like very talented musicians. And I would say, and this is like, I don't know, the easiest way I can put it. I would say that in, in my old man speak <laughs> that the, the newer score is a lot more of like something I imagine that I would hear, you know, at a dance club. You well, know, it's it techno. It's more, it's more techno. Of a, yeah, like a, but it also makes me think of that. That's kind of what was popular, you know, in that, 2010 kind of time yeah that was like the that was like the heyday of dubstep you know and like edm festivals were all like it was djs were becoming famous like you know that has thankfully kind of died down um, <laughs> but like that was that was the time of skrillex yo oh yes <laughs> that was well to see like how many reviews that people had that specifically praised the score I was like, oh, wow. And that became, you know, a, a whole thing. Like Trapanese did the score for like Tron Legacy. Also heavily electronic. But that makes much more sense, though. It's a video game. Oh, yeah, because we're inside of a computer. Yeah, I mean, it, the, some well, of the... it makes it almost like a music video feel. Yes. In this, when it has like that techno um, soundtrack, because it feels like you're in a game or you're you know, watching a, a music video where there's huge action tied into mm. this really beat heavy music. That's really good. We just need somebody going fight. And then yeah, like, right? yeah, I mean, that's it. Like Mortal Kombat theme, right? Yeah. That was super arcade based music. It was all fucking techno. And that was ahead of its time because that movie came out, what, 96? Yeah, like that. I was in college. But I mean, the music when they had it with, with Shinoda and Trapanese, I mean, it worked. It fits. I understand, you know, the, the mood that we have there. 
but I felt that it was overall a heavier feeling with the music and mm. the original Indonesian score I felt was more nuanced. And one of the moments that I love the most actually uh, in the original Indonesian score was a mistake. And what happened was they were playing back to Gareth Evans. One of the scenes we talked about a lot, the death of Jaka. And what happened was when they did the playback, they forgot to actually activate some of the audio. Mm. So when Jaka died, all they heard, you know, was just like these drones. Okay. It was very, it was very quiet. Yes. And it was just like, I found it to be spectacular, as did Gareth Evans, you know, because right. they were like, oh, I'm sorry, we forgot to put the sound on. He's like, no, it was perfect. And then <laughs> they went back and they did it again and again. And they decide to keep it. And that's, you know, that's a very happy accident because it's like, again, like you talked about, we had built up Jaka. You know, he was our hero. This was our guy. And this is like your moment of silence for Jaka. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's another point when the sound drops out, too, and it only has like that high pitched drone sound um where boa gets his ear shot off yeah like the tinnitus kind of feel yeah yeah which yeah. is very uncomfortable and i think it's generally overused in movies now but in this particular case i thought it really really worked because you know there's a reason for it um and it also kind of is a respite from like the huge sound of all the gunfire that you've just gone through yeah mm -hmm. i mean things do get overused but like then when they work it's like a shame because it's like you're like oh this but then you have to like readjust to the fact that like no 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 no, this is this is why this thing like this is where this thing works and it's like the other stuff you know like even shaky cam shaky cam works for reasons and there's moments where it's fine but like to take a movie and just go uh for 45 minutes straight because you thought no, it was I've cool I've literally had to leave a movie to go be ill because of the shaky cam. I have really bad motion sickness, and I was just like, okay. We're going to talk quick about the guns. Yes. Let's talk okay. guns. So right. the just... guns actually are not real guns in this. They're not like prop guns where they're like airsoft guns. And so every bit of the muzzle flashing and the um, sound and everything was just cgi yeah or after the fact which i think is pretty cool yeah um, because I... it worked with the blood and the wounds and everything i think that the blood they did use blood packs and squibs in addition to cgi so they had like supplemental um on that i think with the using the airsoft guns and going with fully cgi for the guns it worked because it allowed them to just have, you know, five or six guys just blasting off. And and for practicality reasons, you know, you can't have that much gunfire in such a closed space with nobody wearing ear protection. Everybody will go deaf. Yeah, and that's what I think works about it in this case. My other quick connections with movies uh, that I saw in The Raid Redemption... With a microphone, when we have Tama upstairs, that is, of course, you know, the Warriors, the Walter Hill film. Right. You know, we could see that. Also, the fight that we have in the hallway really makes me think about Old Boy. Once again, in that movie, we have like this this hotel situation happening. 
Right. So I I also thought about that as well. Well, with the Warriors, it's kind of similar. Like, they were fighting their way back to Coney Island through, like, you know, the all the bad yeah, guys. They, they had a... And in this, they're fighting their way up to the top of the building. They that's had true. a gauntlet that they had to navigate as well. So it's like, and really, that's what they are. They're doing. They're running a gauntlet. And it's just like, they went from the burrows to a building so they condensed it down. But just now that I think about it like that, I'm trying to immediately come up with other movies that are kind of in that vein. I can't really think of any. It's, I like I mean, this movie. Any of the one location things I think will pop to mind. Yeah. I like this movie for what it gave us. You know, because of this movie, I think without this movie, John Wick doesn't exist. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Dread was a killer movie. I think that that daredevil series on netflix i think that the action uh particularly daredevil has hallway fights so i think that there's a lot of raid influence all over that it was one of those moments and i don't know that it gets the credit that it deserves for being like nothing was ever the same after this like this is the thing that showed up and changed everything for for cinema in this one aspect and like those kind of things get lauded a lot, but I don't know if this is lumped into that, but it should be. It should be. It should be, because it really does introduce a new way to do an old thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, martial arts movies and fight-type yeah. movies like this have happened since people started making movies. But this, like, did a refresh on that that, you know, seems kind of impossible to think of. But the fact that, you know, these people got together and made this and it worked and it worked so well and it does feel fresh is a huge deal. And like I use it as an adjective. Oh, you'll like this movie. It's got the raid action or like raid action. Like I use it as an adjective to qualify other movies. Like it's an adjective. How that's like the raid. It's awesome. It's got that raid level. You know, and it's it's just my way of being like it's legit. You know, it's like it's there. It's worth seeing. It's crazy, and everyone who who's seen that movie gets it. And they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's right there. I mean, the very last thing I think I'm gonna bring to the table, which is wild, is Gareth Evans was trying to get money for a movie that was actually uh, what became the Raid Two. They adapted it a bit to fit into the raid, but he was trying to get financing for what became the raid too, and he wasn't able to get it because it was too much money. And the plan B was to go to the raid redemption, which was a smaller budget. And they said that once they put that plan into place with a smaller budget, I think they said they were able to get the financing within an afternoon. Because Oh, for just this one or for the second one? Just the first one. Oh, okay. Yeah, because what happened was they'd gone around to everyone. It was a much larger budget that they were proposing. And that would have been for what later became the Raid 2. And people weren't able to contribute that much. And when they went to their plan B of trying to put into production the Raid Redemption, they went back to these people that said, like, well, maybe I could give you a quarter or half. And they were able to secure the financing for this film, like, in an afternoon. That's, that's awesome like i'm so happy that i mean that's one of those happy accident things where it fell through but it turned out to be for the best because i 
love this movie. And One this is like a, I mean, this is kind of like a perfect movie. I can't really think of anything in this that I think isn't good, you no. know, or detracts really. It's like no. from the first second to the last second, it's just awesome. And so I'm really happy that they didn't make the raid two first because yeah. then we never would have those. And this is a lean, mean fighting machine. Yeah, no, it's just like this really tight, well-managed, concise, beautiful thing. You know, it's 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 ballet, it's opera. It's like it's so high drama, it's so high intensity, it's so high everything, but the smaller moments hit and every aspect of the movie you can tell has been loved and poured over and cared for and nothing has been ignored or left to chance and you you can see all that like it comes across the amount that this yeah. movie was loved and to me those are always my favorite movies it's like uh what is it? it's like the chicken soup of movies which is i guess the premise of your your podcast right the comfort films you know and and to me those are always the ones where like the love of creation emanates from them yeah absolutely and they it was so creative and the things that they needed to do you know within the budget constraints these are all the things that make it like just killer i think that low budgets are sometimes the magic sauce because when you don't have money you really have to figure it out you know and you have to get creative as hell look at deadpool they made that movie worth 71 million dollars or something like that. yeah it's great i mean it's a great movie cheap as hell they made a ton of profit like sometimes throwing 200 million dollars at the the thing isn't the answer sometimes cutting it to, to you know 72 million dollars is the answer make it in 10 yeah that was the thing like we love john carpenter and that's what john carpenter was always doing was making the most out of very little budget and his thing is like yeah of course i wanted more money <laughs> but you know when you don't get the money you you still can be creative within that and you know do really magical things and that's what they did here well they didn't have the money for all these extras so it's like they would have like the sounds of all these people behind the door outside so it was always like there was the threat that you could hear but you couldn't see so it like it did the job you know on us the audience but they were also able to save the budget on it too great all of it great i i'm gonna watch it again this weekend right. i can't wait all right. Well, I think that's it for our discussion on the raid redemption. Uh, yeah. yeah, feels like so, it. Uh, Frank, let's say where we can find you online if our listeners would like to look you up. All my art stuff is basically under brush and blade art. Um, the Instagram is brush underscore and underscore so on and so forth. Uh, my website is www.brushandbladeart.com, and you can buy stuff there if you're feeling magnanimous, which I hope you are. Um, you know, I got t-shirts, I got prints, I got phone cases, I got stuff. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Brush and Blade Artistic Solutions, Brush and Blade Art. Uh, I think what I do is pretty interesting. Ideally, other people would as well. Great. Well, we'll definitely post that too so people can click right over uh, to follow you. But thank you so much oh, for cool. joining us today. This has been a really fun discussion. 
Absolutely. It's been a blast. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. We'll do this again. Um, so next week, we'll be back to start our Halloween series. Yes, we will. Because you see, we had the survival horror element that we talked about a lot in this film. And that is going to be our bridge to the Romero classic, Night of the Living Dead, which is going to kick off our Halloween month. Yes! Yeah, we're going to do at least a few weeks of zombies, starting with, you know, the genre creator. As you should. um, And also a single location film, pretty much. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, with a, a major threat coming at you. So I'm really excited to talk about that. We love this movie. It's birthed so many other films. It's incredible. And it's another <laughs> so, low-budget film. You know, yeah. this is people in Pennsylvania working and, yeah. and just creating something that will resonate forever. Because I think anywhere that you go, when you go into a zombie film, there is part of you that is going to, even if it's unconsciously, reuse something from this film just you because it was so influential. It's brilliant. Has to. Yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be awesome. We can't wait to start that up. That's exciting. Awesome. Can't wait for that. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And until we see you next time, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody. Stay comfy, guys.